This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Thank you for everyone that has tuned in to 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. We're getting closer to the one-year anniversary. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders and certainly hope it has been beneficial. In addition, thank you for all the support you have provided on the book that was recently published, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are, you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. Paperback, ebook, and audiobook are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host for this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to not only those individuals that want to get in this business, but for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week, imagine growing up always around sporting events, but from a press row perspective, moving and growing up in six different states and ultimately figuring out the career path that you want to take and have a ton of success in it. Our next guest did that and more as I'm excited to have Kurt Wall, Vice President of Ticket Sales and Membership Services at the San Diego Padres. Kurt, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. Big fan of yours. Kurt, no, I appreciate the support and certainly appreciate your time today, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. So let's start from the beginning. You're born in Ohio. You go on to live in Wisconsin, Michigan, Texas, Virginia, and Oklahoma. Your dad was a photographer and editor for the Associated Press. How is that growing up, not only in multiple states, but being around some of the largest national events from a press perspective? Uh, That's a great question, Travis. I definitely took it for granted. Uh, Being around sports at a young age from a photographer's perspective was a lot of fun. Um, He got to be behind the scenes at a lot of key sporting events and and memorable moments throughout, really, sports history, from Olympics to World Cups to Super Bowls to Final Fours. Uh, he'd always come back with such great stories, and, and honestly, when I got older, and mostly in high school, when we moved to Oklahoma, uh, I got to spend some time with him, seeing what he did on a day-to-day basis, and I would run film for him during the OU football games, and this is when uh, Adrian Peterson and Jason White and those guys were running up and down Owen Field, and um, it was a lot of fun, it was really cool, and then one of my probably favorite experiences was the, I think, 2010 uh, Super Bowl, the Packers versus the Steelers, where the Packers won as Aaron Rodgers' first Super Bowl or only Super Bowl. I uh, got a chance to be there and see what he did on a day-to-day basis and just the impact that he had on the media industry as a whole. It's, it's pretty cool and, and very um, humbling. 
Very cool. Very cool. And talk about, you know, growing up and being around some of those events that, that most kids, most people just only dreamed of. And to your point, you probably took it for granted early on, but now, you know, it's like, holy cow, that was a hell of an experience. And so, you know, obviously you talked about earlier in your life, you know, you, you got into that sports. Did you know ultimately that that's what you wanted to do when you grew up? Or like, when did that kind of the light trigger for you? Well, so I think it's funny. So when my dad would come back from these major events or, frankly, just working like Brewers games or Rangers games, and he would bring back media guys. And that's how I consumed the game a lot of the time. I wouldn't follow teams per se. I would mostly follow players and stats. And um, even to this day, when I see a media guy float around our ballpark, it kind of gives me a sense of nostalgia, and I want to grab as many of them as I can (laughs) to add to the collection. Um, so from that perspective, that's how I really got into it. But I think it's funny. My dad and I joke to this day. Like I think he always wanted me to be a photographer, uh, but I had the gift of gab. I could talk to anybody, and I, I spent a lot of time doing that and found a way to turn it into a nice career and spend it around the sports industry. No, absolutely. You know, if, as you were growing up and talking to your dad, was he really hoping you would follow in his footsteps, or was you know did you know early on, hey, I don't really have a ton of interest in the, the photography or the editing, but I have an interest in sports. You know, it's funny. I never really had an interest in photography, but there was a couple of times throughout my high school career where I would have to go help him out with a project or an assignment. And one that I can think of off the top of my head that kind of gave me an opportunity to go, ah, this actually could be something, but I never pursued it, was with the uh, every year Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial has a, a marathon. And I went and helped him set up a shot with a couple of his photographers. And, you know, everyone starts right in front of the monument. And there's a really great scene of them running past the monument. And one of his photographers spent, you know, a couple hours setting up this one perfect shot. And then come to find out right before race time, uh, he's like, I don't think this is the right shot for me. I don't want to do something different. So we already had rented this crane. My dad gave me a camera. He said, go up in the crane and just point and shoot, don't mess with anything. And obviously, like any good teenager would do, I went up there and started messing with the filter settings and everything else in the camera. Yep. I had no idea what I was doing. Point and shoot, race starts. I have no idea what I got. And later that day, my dad pulled me aside and said, do you know what you did? I was like, ah, yeah, I just pointed and shoot like you always tell me to do. Like, it's just that simple, right? And he goes, did you mess with the settings? I go, No. He goes, you messed with the settings, didn't you? I go, yeah, I definitely messed with the settings. The typical son answer. Yeah, I was like, no, I didn't. Yeah, maybe it. And he was like, well, whatever you did, it actually came out really artistic and, and really intriguing, and we're going to use it on the front page of the paper. So I was published in my only chance to take photos for the Oklahoma, and I was published in the front page of the paper. And all the runners were going through blurry. I messed with the exposure settings, and everything else was crystal clear behind it. And my, my parents have a frame at the house back in Oklahoma, and uh, at that time I retired. I said I can't do it anymore. What is done? The pinnacle, the yep, pinnacle the of my mic. photography career. <laughs> That's awesome. You dropped the mic there. And so, Kurt, you end up going to Oklahoma State University. You obviously knew your career path. So you wanted to study sports management and marketing. And, you know, some guests on the podcast ended up getting an internship during college that really, like, hey, this is solidifies what I want to do long term. But not, not necessarily you, though. You, you end up – doing a, a marketing project with the Oklahoma City Thunder that really got your passion going. So walk the listeners through that experience for you. No, absolutely. I think uh, when I was at Oklahoma State, I first off, I love Oklahoma State University. It is, it's, it's heaven on earth, is what I like to say, Stillwater is. And when I got to Oklahoma State, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And if they had that program, when I went to freshman orientation, I realized they just launched their sports management program through their business school. So I dove right into it. 
uh, Dr. Brian Finch there at the university runs an awesome, awesome program. And through our time there, this is when the Thunder came into town, and their SVP of marketing and sales, Brian Burns, who's still there to this day, a, a mentor of mine, um, came and spoke to our class. Like a lot of us do, we like to get back to, to the youth and um, especially to the universities so you continue to use it as a recruiting tool. And he came and spoke to us about, you know, where social media is going in the professional sports industry. So our project was how do we utilize Facebook to drive ticket sales? Right? It's something that we now do on a day-to-day basis. and basis, yep. Absolutely. And at the time when you're in college, like, oh, I'm on Facebook. We can definitely do this. And I, don't, I, I bet that the students at the team aren't thinking about it this way. And you know, I'm, a, I'm a, obviously a hyper user. And I got to be a part of the finalist group that went and actually presented the project to, to Brian and his staff. And when I got there, we go to the Thunder offices. You kind of have that overwhelming sense of like, ooh, this is bigger than it, than it is. This is great. Yep. And being able to sit down with them, walk them through a project, let them give us feedback, and you really get a firsthand opportunity of what the, the real world looks like, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked, line sinker. We got to go to the game that night, um, stayed in contact with him. So I didn't have an internship. Uh, I got to that part. I think it was my junior year going into my senior year was that project. Uh, I finished college about a semester early so I could dive in, but he was instrumental in just helping me kind of like put my foot in the door and figure out how to do this. So I have a lot of respect and I know a lot of where I'm at today to even him coming and speak to my class that one time in school. Yeah, and so for great advice for listeners that you're know, trying to get in this business or, or back into the business, whatever it may be, you just never know where your paths may cross with somebody that, that can teach you a ton and ultimately get you that next you know opportunity and you know, the path started to become clear for you, as you mentioned, Kurt, and you land your first job with the San Antonio Spurs. So how did that job come about after school? Well, I think, uh, like everybody, you apply to everything you possibly can out of the sun. Uh, I think I went to Teamwork Online and applied to probably 50 different jobs that uh, 48 of them I was not qualified for, to say the least. I think I actually applied for a director of group sales job at the University of Oregon Athletics because I was like, might as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a job opening. It's a job opening. They're looking for someone just like me. Yeah. And uh, when I went through the process, um, Spurs Sports Entertainment and the San Antonio Spurs were launching their inside sales program. It was posted as a new business consultant role on Teamwork Online. So applied for it. Um, their inside sales manager at the time, Eric McKenzie, was building this team out. And uh, when I got the call... Uh, to be part of that team and part of the original 10 there in San Antonio to kind of rebrand inside sales because they hadn't had a true new business development team at the entry level in quite some time. I jumped right at it because it was the NBA. It was a team that I knew and an organization I knew was well-respected in the industry from doing my research. And if you're going to put yourself in that position, put yourself in a position where people are going to grow you and have also the resources around you uh, to give you the opportunity. So in their portfolio at the time, they had the Spurs, they had the Silver Stars, which then became the Stars, which then they sold uh, to Vegas. Yep. They had the AHL team, the Rampage, they uh, operated the building shows that went through the AT&T Center, and they had the G League team at the time, the D League. Yep. Um, at the time, they were the Austin Toros, now the Austin Spurs. So I knew there was a lot of opportunity there, so that's why I jumped at it right away. 
So you, you mentioned, you know, it's, it's a lot about the people and the resources and the opportunity, which with the San Antonio organization. We had Frank Maselli on earlier, you know, on an earlier podcast, an yeah. awesome opportunity, awesome guy. But you know, what are some key learnings early on in your career that you highly recommend, whether it be you're just getting into this business or you're currently in this business that you need to continue to focus on to really push to be elite? It's a great question. Uh, Frank's actually a great friend and a good mentor of mine, too. And I think one of the things I learned from him was even on my first day of the interview process, he came up to our, our suite. I think we had about 10 or 15 of us interviewing for, the, for that time. He came up and he was like, who wants to go take a walk around the stadium with me? And he moves like a 1,000 miles an hour around the arena. And I learned that you got to have a good pair of shoes. Like that was the first thing. got to have a good pair of shoes yeah. to work in the, this industry. I think He gets his step count up for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's a big piece. But I think the hustle component, I think what you've really built your foundation on too, is you have to come into it with an attitude of work ethic and hustle and grit. It's it's not an easy job. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of practice. Just like everything else you do and any, any you know, skills that you're trying to build, you have to want to do it though. Yep. And it doesn't it doesn't happen for everybody. We, we put, there are a lot of people kind of work their way out of our industry because um, the success that they want doesn't meet the timeline that they think it's going to happen on. Right. So I think what happens a lot of times is that the people who really push through and have that attitude of it's a constant building process. We have a lot of success with college athletes from like a D2 or a D3 um, level who know what it takes to continue to build upon skill sets. I think that is what really takes a good to a great to an elite is the ability to know that you're always going to get better even if it's 1% each day. Yep. And the, just the little things go a long way. And, you know, Kurt, being a part of the Spurs Sports and Entertainment brand, you kind of listed all the, the properties and the verticals when you were there. You end up getting the opportunity to go sell for the San Antonio Rampage of the AHL, the American Hockey League. So why did you decide to go that route instead of continuing to sell, you know, for the Spurs or maybe move to another, you know, professional sports organization? Yeah, my, one of my first goals when I got to San Antonio was of that group of 10, I wanted to be one of the first people promoted. I wanted to find a way to grow. And I think looking back, yes, that's a good goal, but I think you also want to understand the landscape a little bit more and understand where you want to be long term. I think the move for me going to the Rampage, though, was the perfect fit because it gave me a chance to exercise my skills in a different way. So the way their organization is structured from inside sales, if you go to the Spurs, you're primarily focused on new season ticket development, which is an amazing opportunity. When you go to the franchise side, you have to do everything. So you're driving new business, you're retaining your book of business, you're selling flex plans, you're selling group tickets. So that, to me, was really exciting. I mean, everybody is full menu, but your primary focus on the Spurs side for the larger team was, was new business generation, and they had a group sales team. So when I moved to the AHL side, I took it as a challenge, and we always joke that if you can sell hockey in South Texas, you can sell anything. Yeah. And when I moved over, it was in the summertime, and I learned very quickly that for me to pay my rent, I needed to learn how to sell group tickets. Yep. And that really stretched me in a way. And I remember having this conversation when I got promoted. Ryan Snyder and Matt Callister pulled me into Ryan Snyder's office, and they gave me the job. I said, thank you so much. I'm really excited. I've never sold groups before in my life. So I'm, <laughs> I'm here to figure it out. Right. And they're like, that's all we want. We want I'll to find know, a way. You know to, exactly. You're going you're gonna to figure it out, and you're going to grit and grind it. And um, that was how I did it, and that was why I chose the Rampage at the time because I really thought 
it gave me the opportunity to really round out my skill sets. Because I always knew if I really wanted to move back to the Spurs side, if I did a good job on the AHL side, right. there could be an opportunity there for me. But obviously my, my path went a different way. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, like, not only selling at the minor leagues, you're going to sell season tickets, premium groups, help out with singles, et cetera, but also, you know, in, in Spurs, you know, sports and entertainment are a little bit different because they own so many, so you have a lot more resources. But a lot of times in those minor leagues, you may have a 10-person staff that does a little bit of everything, you know. So it, what was it like for you knowing that, you know, you may be selling some sort of tickets one day, you're helping out with a community event the next, Oh, you might even be a mascot one day. Like, what, what was that, that process like for you? It was uh, no two days were the same. I think <laughs> it's the, the phrase everybody always used. Like, one day you could be working on a 300-person tool outing for a national anthem. Uh, the next day you could be working with the youth hockey program and getting T-Bone, the mascot, to go to Northwoods Ice Rink and get something going over there. Or you could drive the Rampage Roadshow, which was our old Penske truck that was wrapped, and it was probably 15 years too old, and you never knew if it was going to die on i When you're driving down the road, everybody's looking at you. Absolutely. Like, (laughs) this isn't going to make it to North San Antonio. I know it's not, but we're going to pray it does. And I think it just gives you um, perspective, right? I think when you work at the, the major league level, just like you do as a professional athlete, so many things are kind of taken care of for you because it's part of that brand or it's part of that business. When you have to work and fight and scratch and claw for things, you get even more perspective on uh, what it's like to have those niceties when you get to the next level. So that for me was it was an awesome opportunity just to work on a product that really needed to push to sell. And I think to your point about building relationships, like the best lead source for everybody is the referral lead source, right? right. And for us – we didn't have the plethora of single game buyers that you have at the on the Padres side or on the on the Spurs side. You had to work for leads, and the best lead source I possibly have is my season ticket base. And learning how to build those relationships, ask for sales, ask for secondary sales, ask for upsell opportunities, like that to me was you you can't you can't um, you know you can't give that back. Like it was yeah. awesome. Learning the value of cross-selling and upselling, you know, at that point in time, your career has only continued to help. And mm-hmm. you, you end up selling for the Rampage franchise for a few years, one of the top sellers in the league, and then you get, decide to go into leadership. How did you know leadership was just something you really wanted to be a part of? I think early on, I, I liked the concept and the idea of being someone who got to make strategic decisions. And I, thought, I always thought that was something that intrigued me. I think as you grow as a leader, you realize that people follow the influence. And if you're doing your job at a really high level, people are going to respond to that and follow that. And I think that was something I didn't know at the time, right? I think at the time, you're like, oh, I think I can make good decisions. I think I can put the business in a position to be successful. I think I can lead at a high level. But once you actually start doing it, you don't know what it's like. And I think for me, when I got that opportunity, my boss and a mentor of mine at the time, Matt Callister, left to go work for the Cleveland AHL team, the Cleveland Monsters, it opened up an opportunity. And I've been a top seller. Uh, I've been, you know, kind of his right hand on the sales team and been a good leader by example. So when I got the chance to ask for the role, that's what I did. I went to my new boss at the time, who was already our director of business operations, Ryan Snyder. I said, I think I can do this job. I'd love to be considered for the opportunity. And, you know, he gives you the, okay, we'll see. Sure. Like, okay, at least I I shot my shot. You know, I got to do what I got to do. Then I went through the interview process. And it was an awesome experience because I got to interact with people across the organization that I hadn't interacted with as a rep. So getting to see where they had grown. And I realize now every person I met with 
had grown within the organization from like an entry level position. So it was it was manufactured in a way for me to see this is a building process. It takes steps to get where you want to go and learn from these people and ask these people how they did it. And when I got the chance to finally get the, the job, you know, a couple of weeks later, I looked back on that and said, okay, there was a method to the madness. Like this is leadership, right? This is you're putting the breadcrumbs out for me to pick up along the way. And when I got the opportunity, I was extremely excited, but I definitely made some mistakes at the beginning. As any good leader does, though, but you learn from them, right? And mm-hmm. you know, throughout your time in leadership, you know, there with the Rampage, the NBA goes on a lockout. So you're, you're able to take advantage of some of the Spurs sales team members selling, um, as well as access to other resources. And you know, I'm sure at the time, it was like being a bull in a china shop. But looking back, what were some of those critical learning points that really helped develop you into the leader you are today? Uh, we joked at the time that we went from one of the smallest sales staffs to the largest sales staff in the American Hockey League because everybody focused on Rampage. I think we set our attendance record and our revenue record that year because the first half of the season we had sole focus from one of the best group sales teams in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, I think what I learned in that situation, though, is cross-department collaboration and communication is extremely important and Really important when everyone is working at their you know, highest level and working on their product, but when it becomes a sole product that people are earning their commissions on, you have to be buttoned up. You've got to be dialed in. You've got to give them expectations. You've got to hold them accountable. I was just their peer really recently, and that was a very hard transition, and it's a hard transition for a lot of people. I've now done it twice in my career, going from a salesperson to leading that exact same sales team, and then from going from a director-level teammate to overseeing that director level group here in San Diego. Yep. So I, I at least went back and checked my answers again from the first time I took the test and things I got wrong I tried to apply to this to this part of it. Um, but I think one of the big things I struggled with, and I think a lot of young leaders struggle with this, is that you know what it was like for you and you know how to be successful for you. You can't recreate yourself. You can't clone yourself. Nothing would get done. If I had six Kurt Waz on the sales team, nothing would get done. We'd sell probably a lot of stuff. A lot of things would be would fall off because of the details. Yep. So you got to build a team. I think that was one of the bigger learnings I, I took out of that. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Kurt Wall, Vice President of Ticket Sales and Membership Services at the San Diego Padres. Kurt, after spending four-plus years there with the Rampage, you get the opportunity to continue on in your leadership journey as you get the opportunity to work for the San Diego Padres of the Major League Baseball, which you're still at today. And why was that the right opportunity for you? It's a great question, Travis. I think for me, it was, it was a time in my career where I wanted to try something different and take my skill sets to the next level. And I think the AHL side is an awesome breeding ground for learning managerial skill sets and you can do it on an incubator type basis. Now I wanted to take that, you know, two and a half million dollar budget that we were going after and can I go get six? Can I go get ten? Can I go get twenty plus million dollars? So when I got the opportunity, I was afforded it um, through some transition that happened here in San Diego, I jumped right at it. And I'd always had baseball as a as an opportunity that I wanted to attack because I think there's so much um, low-hanging fruit based on best practices and things that you've learned from the NBA and the NHL and just applying different things, but then the seasonality is different. And plus, with 81 games, I mean, the revenues that we're, you know, we're talking about putting up on the ticketing side or our other teams in our league have done, it just gives you so much um, runway. And I jumped right at it. I think the, the membership model here 
was also very attractive. So when I came in, I oversaw our new business generation team and our inside sales team. Um, I had two inside sales managers reporting up for me at that time. And I think I've always seen from afar and been an admirer of what the Padres are doing. So when I got a chance to work with that brand and with that group and the pedigree that was here at the time and had been here, I, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, and you guys, you know, the, the Padres have always been known as, as one of the kind of the first Major League Baseball organizations to not only adopt the membership model, but really adopt that sales and service mentality. And you guys had a lot of great people that are still currently there and that have moved on. But you now, you know, fast forward, you've been there almost seven years. You've been promoted several times. Now, you know, kind of running the shop. What do you feel like you've done just on such a consistent basis to get, you know, so many internal promotions and continue to build your brand internally? Well, I think first and foremost, it's results. I think we've always been consistent with what we're putting up, and I think that obviously if you do your job at a really high level, uh, you're going to get more opportunities. There's a great uh, phrase we have internally that you won the pie-eating contest. The great thing about winning the pie-eating contest is you get to eat more pie. That's what my boss always tells me. That's a a great analogy. I love it. It's an awesome analogy, and we use it, I think, too frequently because (laughs) we keep eating all the pie, which is great. Um, But I think for me – I've always wanted to push myself to do new things. And I remember having a conversation internally when we had our director of groups job open. I only been here for probably, you know, four months, six months in that time frame. And I went to my boss at the time and said, hey, if you don't fill this position, um, I'd love to be in consideration for it. Because I think what I could take from the AHL is that minor league sales mindset and apply it to major league price structures and, and major league products. I think we can do some really cool things. And I went through the process and got that opportunity. And that's exactly what we did. We looked at our our FEP calendar. We looked at our experiences. We looked at our hospitality spaces. We really put hard metrics on growing our business and our our core key categories. And a lot of that simple blocking and tackling. But I think the other piece, too, is the commitment to our leadership team, the commitment to our people. I really think that we've got a culture here that is built on attitude plus effort equals results. I know a lot of us in this industry have had that in our DNA and our framework for a very long time, and that's the same thing here. But I think the other component that we've added to that is is the component of time, right? It takes time to do these things. It's not going to happen overnight. I think with the group sales business specifically, that is so true. I mean, you know this from your time in Pittsburgh, like – it takes time to build those relationships and to see the fruits of that labor come off, you know, down. four or five months down the road. Yeah. It's patience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know, Kurt, from your end, you know, earlier you talked about, you know, one of the biggest challenges you've done it twice in your career is one day being a peer, the next day being their boss, right? And you kind of talked through that and you talked through of building a successful leadership team. But I know, you know, in my leadership journey, and I'm sure it's similar to yours, I constantly got the question of, you know, how do you transition from overseeing just sales team members to now overseeing sales team members and sales leaders? You know, what, what advice do you have for the leaders that are listening to this call or the people that want to be in the leadership? Like, how is it to oversee, you know, leaders? That's a great question. I think when you're leading a sales team, you're leading a group of high-performing individual contributors. Their sole focus is their, their comp structure a lot of times and – how can they control their own destiny, right? I think when you go to that leadership level of overseeing leaders, now you're overseeing an even more finite group of high performers who have reached the top of their careers in their respective categories and now are charged with shepherding that group to new heights. And I think a lot of times you you forget, like I said earlier, you forget what you went through to get to that situation. I think the core of what I've tried to instill in my group here 
is how do you build really good relationships with your peer group so when the time is right and you get that opportunity, you know where they stand, yep. right? So our, our director group here, uh, through my transition overseeing the group, we've, we've maintained three of the four. One of them left for, for a business opportunity that he wanted to explore um, after a couple of years of me here. But I knew where they all kind of stood. I knew what their goals were. I knew what their aspirations were. Uh, I knew, in some instances, I joke with a few of our leaders, like I knew some of the answers to the test before the test was taken. Before I was there, yep. But then now I get to work with them on a deeper level and understand how their business operates, how they do what they do, how do they motivate their team, how can I assist them in motivating their team or getting the results that they need, or how to provide them more resources that they don't have to go fight for. I get to go do that now. And I think that's that servant leadership mindset that we talk a lot about, um, where you got to really meet people where they're at. And if you can meet people where they're at and have that really good, clear, um, there's a great book, quote out of a book I'm reading right now from Brene Brown, there to lead about clarity is kind. Like if you know exactly what they're trying to accomplish, they know what you're trying to accomplish and it's clear between the two of you, that's the nicest thing you can do for that person. And we can work towards the end result together. No, absolutely. And I think you, you've always done a great job and a lot of the, the really successful leaders leading other people is truly understanding that personal and professional growth plan as well. You know, they're not just a sales number. They're not just a leader of sales numbers, but understanding them as a whole. And, you know, in addition to that, with the Padres organization, Kurt, I think you've done a, a great job of not only starting to build, but continue to enhance a great training and development program there. Why is it so important for you to focus on career growth and development, not only just to the leaders, but also every individual sales team member as well? Well, I think at the end of the day, we know that not everybody is suited just to be a salesperson with tickets for their entire career, right? We want to make sure we have opportunities to grow them into corporate partnerships or into ballpark operations or into a leadership role here or elsewhere. So I think it's, a, it's upon us as leaders to make sure we're giving them those opportunities and those tools. And we've done a couple of things throughout my tenure. We like to bring in leaders from the outside for a leadership development program to really pick their brain, learn a lot about you know their process and how they got to where they are. We do a lot of book clubs and podcast group discussions. And I think one of the really great things we've done is instilled a uh, kind of a players-only team concept where we have a couple of our key rep leaders who lead group discussions with just the sales team. It's an opportunity for them to get together to voice concerns, voice successes, voice opportunities for improvement, and then they can then take that back to us as a leadership team without us navigating and coordinating the conversation, right? It gives them a chance to speak freely. I think that we started that when I first got here on our new business development team, and then we've carried that over to all of our other groups. And that's a great source of opportunity and insight and ideas. And I think that to me, giving, giving those LDP reps the opportunity to learn that skill set at that stage of their career is only going to give them the opportunity later on to give to somebody else. And the best way to learn something is to reteach it. Yep. No, absolutely. Love it. You know, Kurt, we talked earlier about your career and, you know, specifically selling for the rampage, right? You're, you're certainly not selling wins and losses and, and on, you know, on ice performance for that matter. And now with your time at the Padres, you've also led through a variety of different years, you know, as it considers with on-field performance. You know, back in, and we talked about this earlier in 2015, it was player acquisition mode for the Padres. 16, you guys hosted the All-Star game. 17, the roster got torn down. 18, team wasn't so good. 19, you signed Machado. You know, 20, 
we all know what 20. There wasn't wasn't much baseball as, as it relates to fans. And now 21, the team looks pretty promising. You guys have capitalized on a few recent trades. Like, so a few questions on, on just kind of those years of your time in, in San Diego. Regardless of the on-field performance, how and why has your team had so much success? And, and what are some of those core themes that stand out? It's a great question. I think it's, it's funny listening, kind of going back through all those years and knowing what the highlight of each of those years were and, and how you could kind of define it in a couple of quick words. Um, I think what's been the consistent theme is that we know where we're trying to go as an organization. And that has been delivered down to us from the highest level of leadership all the way to our entry-level salespeople. And it's a build process. And not to borrow from the Sixers, but, you know, trust the process. we gotta, we got to trust that our baseball operations team is doing everything in their power to put the team on the field to ultimately maximize revenue and maximize the, the sellouts and the attendance. And I think for us, that has been a calling card for us as we hire and develop and train. It's something we can lean on, and now we're, and we're seeing the fruition of that come through now. I think back in 15, when we made all those trades, we got um, Matt Kemp, Justin Upton, Wilma Rooks, Daniel Norris, um, actually, not, I think it's David Norris. I can't remember all of a sudden. His, his <laughs> name. Uh, and then we signed James Shields. That was a flash in the pan. Very exciting. The, the, the marketplace responded very quickly because this town wants a winner. This marketplace wants to get behind something like that. And when it didn't work, we at least had the all-star game to sell against. So we always just had something to leverage. And I think that's been a big component of it, but the consistency from the top down of where we're going and then couple that with our membership platform, yep. that's what keeps people engaged and keeps people in the funnel and keeps them excited. That can only work for so long, I think, until you have what we've been talking about for so long about being a competitive and championship-caliber ball club, which I think we're, we're there now. We're on the verge of becoming that perennial team that's going to be there in the end, hopefully. Um, I think 17 and 18 were interesting because that's where we really started the build process. Right. And I think all of that on the membership side is a piece of it, but I think the group and hospitality and suites side, this is still a tourism spot. We've got a significant amount of our business that's going to be there every year, but it's not going to be the same customers. Right. In one convention, out another. They're going to come in. And this is a, this is a marketplace that likes to entertain and, and do things during the summertime. So I think that was a nice catalyst for us. So now when the team is successful in the field, it's just going to be that extra layer on top that's going to take us to the next level. So what we learned from 15 was on the new sales side, don't sidestep the process just for quick results. Focus on what you have to do, maximize the relationship, maximize the clients. We did that in 19. We had a very short runway before the season started to do so. Right. So now with this uh, trade kind of frenzy that we had at the end of December, um, we mobilized our team quickly. We're all working remotely. We got them up and running. We got them all the information. But the consistent message was there, Travis, of don't sidestep the process just for quick results. Make sure you have good conversations with these people, these prospects, these customers are coming in. Have them understand what they're selling and buying into from a little bit of an uncertainty level because we don't know if we can have fans yet. Um, we're optimistic and we feel we will, but they're still kind of buying under the, the pretense of the pandemic. And I think we've done an amazing job of withstanding 
that level of excitement and results versus seeing the traditional dip that you'd see from the leads coming in and the revenue that you're generating. We've actually seen a pretty good consistent trend line uh, over the past six or seven weeks. And I think you and your team have done a tremendous job of, of really, you know, I guess using the San Diego analogy, ready to ride the wave. You know, you guys were running a, a parallel path. You're setting all the plans up, and then you're able to capitalize. You know, too many opportunities kind of get passed up or, or missed because they're not ready to capitalize. You guys have done a great job. And I think along capitalization, a lot of times it comes up with innovation. So throughout all those different years, like how has innovation been key to, to your team's success? I think the biggest piece for us on the innovation front is just how we connect with our customers. So, you know, gone are the days of just making cold calls, right? Like, I think we all got our start there, hitting 100 calls a day, smile and dial. I still remember my first sales call vividly where um, I hung up on the person because I was so nervous, yeah. <laughs> right? I wasn't expecting the other person yeah. to actually pick up. Wait, they answered. Up. Holy cow. They answered. What am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. Where's my script? Ah, hang up. I give that story to all of our inside salespeople. They always get a kick out of it. It worked out pretty well for me. Yeah, it, um, it, it panned out. I, I, I talked to the next person, I think. <laughs> but I think what uh, on the note of innovation, it's, it's how we connect with people. So I think the text-based platforms have been extremely helpful for us. I think uh, video platform and video calling and video meetings. I think uh, virtual selling from the virtual venue experience. Those are the innovation pieces that – Frankly, we had in place before the pandemic, and luckily we got them in beforehand so we could easily flip and pivot to this new sales dynamic. And I think everyone has their own challenges. I think every organization has handled it differently. I think every organization has done the best they possibly can. I give our group here um, high marks on how they handled it and responded uh, because it was uncertain at times at the very beginning of it. So I think that's a big piece of the innovation. To your point, you guys were able to pivot quickly and be ready to, again, capitalize, but innovation is key. And, Kurt, you've had such a great career journey. It's been a fun you know, fun story. And I, I think as you look back at your entire career, what would you say has been your best memory? Ooh, that's a great question. I think I've had a couple of them, but I think that the 2019 opening day to me was a really exciting one. Um, it was off of the Manny Machado signing and Fernando Tatis made his big league debut. Uh, yeah. And to see him get the ovation that he did, it was incredible. Because we filled the ballpark, right? Like, that was our job. That's always that moment you have opening night. Like, you go by the press box, you look around, like, okay, we, we did this. The now we know we got to fill it again. Exactly. Now you know you got to fill it again tomorrow. Yeah. 80 but more times. <laughs> 80 more times. Here we go. Um, but I think that that one to me sticks out. I think the All-Star game in 2016 sticks out to me also. But I think the uh, NBA Finals run in 2014. Now, I have the distinguished honor of leaving the Spurs the week that they won the Finals. So Sounds I didn't get to right. experience the parade. I'm Good that timing. guy. I'm Good that guy. Apparently, we had to start a new business uh, campaign <laughs> here in San Diego, so I was needed. But you just had to be there on time. Yeah, yeah. great timing. Say they partied, they partied well without me. I think they were okay. <laughs> I'm sure you still get some grief from that and some pictures. But uh, you know, Kurt, this has been great. Very cool to hear from someone that's been able to cut your teeth. You know, certainly in the the NBA, then it really diving in and leadership in the AHL, and now on your way to MLB leadership. So to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Let's do it. All right, you know, you, we talked about innovation in tech. If you had to delete all but three apps from your phone, which are the three you're keeping? All but three. I would keep Twitter because I have to get my news. I would keep 
I'll keep my notes app. I keep Evernote because that's where I do a lot of my, my journaling. Yep. Um, and I think I'd have to keep Instagram. I, okay. I don't think I could do without it. So Twitter, Evernote, Instagram. So some social media and some work. Yeah. Now you have to, to sing karaoke. What song are you choosing? Well, I feel bad for everybody if they have to listen to me sing karaoke first and foremost, but it definitely would be Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. Garth. He's a horrible mistake guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love that song, and you know, if we'd have more time, I'd love for you to sing it, but we'll, I guess we'll, we'll leave that for the next time. <laughs> I'm a city boy that went to Oklahoma State, so I didn't show up in boots like he did in the song, but it's, it's a favorite. It is a good song. If you could choose two people to have dinner with, who would they be? Other than you? Uh, I don't know. That's a tough Very one. Nice no, I, think, uh, I think Coach K and John Wooden. I'm a massive basketball fan, huge Duke fan, but I think sitting down and listening to their perspectives on leadership and coaching and development would be an absolutely incredible dinner. Oh, I can imagine. Great stories there. So, Kurt, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Three key takeaways. Uh, first one would be lead from the front. You know, be willing to do the things that you're asking your team to do. Uh, try new things. I mentioned that earlier. Be, be willing to try new things when opportunities presented to you. And I think the last one, Travis, would be, would be bet on yourself. You know your skills. You know your talents. Take a chance. Bet on yourself. Now, great advice, you know, to your point of you know, being able to roll up your sleeves no matter what role you're in. You're going to be on the front lines and, you know, being innovative, trying those new things. And, and I love it. Bet on yourself. I mean, we talk a lot about throughout this pandemic is who are the people taking the time to invest in themselves to get better and to put themselves in a position to be elite. So, Kurt, thank you so much. You've had such a great career. It's always a pleasure talking to you and, and a ton of great advice. So I, I appreciate that. Absolutely, Travis. Thanks for having me. Honored to do it, man. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.